Joe Biden's Food and Drug Administration wants 55 years to fully release COVID-19 vaccine information to the public. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict caused left-wing commentators to have a meltdown. Plus, some universities are asking if Americans should reconsider Thanksgiving. All that and more. I'm Bobby Eberly. This is a 13-minute news hour. And God bless the United States of America. Okay, friends, welcome to the show. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to start with the COVID vaccine because there is something stunning going on, and it's coming from our federal government, an entity that only exists because we gave it power, a bureaucracy that continues to grow because we allow it to, a collection of departments and administrations that is fed off of our hard-earned wages. It is a government that is supposed to be responsive to us. Remember how White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the Biden administration would be the most transparent in history? Then they proceed to hide details on their botched Afghanistan withdrawal. They ship illegal aliens to all parts of the country in the middle of the night. Then they try to sneak provisions into bills to spy on the American public. Well, now Joe Biden's Food and Drug Administration is taking this lack of transparency to a whole new level. And it has to do with the COVID vaccine. The pharmaceutical company Pfizer took 108 days to get all of their paperwork submitted to the FDA so that Pfizer's vaccine could get approved. This paperwork deals with data pertaining to safety of the drug and the efficacy of the drug, 108 days. During the submission process and prior to FDA approval, these documents are private. But once FDA approval is granted, then those documents are available to the public for review and inspection. Here's the problem. It took 108 days for Pfizer to submit all of its documentation. Now the FDA is asking a federal judge for 55 years to release it to the public. Here's the story. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, asked a judge if the agency could have 55 years to fully release the data used to license Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine, court documents show. The FDA's 55-year plan, which would put the full release at 2076, stems from a Freedom of Information Act request from a group called Public Health and Medical Professionals for Transparency, which is comprised of at least 30 scientists and professors from universities like Harvard, Yale, Brown, and UCLA. The group says it is a nonprofit that takes no partisan position on the data, but exists solely to obtain and disseminate the data relied upon by the FDA to license COVID-19 vaccines for the sake of transparency. This is just ridiculous. Wherever you fall on the issue of vaccines, everyone should recognize that the federal government works for us. Transparency isn't some favor that government officials do from time to time to be nice. We expect it. We demand it. A government that hides from the people is no longer a government of, by, and for the people. And Joe Biden's FDA wants to slow play the American people at a pace that will take us to 2076 to get the full information. Here's more. After the FDA denied the group an expedited records request of all data pertaining to the licensing of Pfizer's vaccine, public health and medical professionals for transparency filed a lawsuit in September in the U.S. District Court 
for the Northern District of Texas. The group contends that reviewing the information will settle the ongoing public debate regarding the adequacy of the FDA's review process. The FDA filed a reply to the suit in a joint report last week saying the agency is requesting 55 years or 500 pages a month because of the large size of the request, roughly 329,000 pages, and because it does not have enough staff to complete the request any faster. The nonprofit is requesting that the agency release the complete data by March 3rd, 2022, 108 days. Now, the FDA is saying that in order to meet the 108-day request, the organization would have to process 80,000 pages per month, and that would raise a significant risk of accidentally releasing information that shouldn't be released. Give me a break. Think about this. The federal government is shielding Pfizer from liability regarding the vaccine. It is paying billions of dollars to Pfizer, our money, to purchase the vaccine. Now, Joe Biden and others want to force Americans to take the vaccine, but Joe Biden's FDA is refusing to release the documentation on the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. That's what's happening right now with our federal government. Just like we are reclaiming control of school boards around the country, we need to take back our government and put it to the people, not the bureaucrats. The people are the ones in control. All right, next, let's talk about the fallout from the Kyle Rittenhouse case but first, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Okay, let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse and the fallout from the verdict. As you probably know, the jury came back on Friday and found Rittenhouse not guilty on any of the five charges leveled against him. This verdict, as you might expect, triggered outrage from those on the left who had already convicted Rittenhouse months ago before the trial even began. Rittenhouse, who is white, shot people in self-defense who are also white. And yet the left says this is an example of white supremacy. Joe Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. I hope there is serious fallout for that one. And others on the left spoke out following the verdict. Here are some comments from MSNBC's Tiffany Cross. I'm disgusted at what I'm seeing. It's not just this trial, it's other trials, but this in particular, the fact that white supremacists roam the halls of Congress freely and celebrate this little murderous white supremacist and the fact that he gets to walk the streets freely, it lets you know these people have access to instituting uh, laws. They represent the legislative branch of this country. What are we to make of that? This just burns me up. What the left doesn't realize is they have oversaturated the market with claims of racism and white supremacy. It's like participation medals. If everyone is a winner, it means no one is. If the left is calling everyone a racist or a white supremacist, people will just start to tune out. The Kenosha riots started because police responded to a call for help and encountered Jacob Blake, who was armed with a knife and who resisted arrest before being shot. At the riots, Kyle Rittenhouse was chased, attacked, and had a gun pointed at him. But to the left, he's a white supremacist. Now, Cross's comments on MSNBC were posed to left-wing guest Ellie Mistel, who responded with this. Welcome to the modern Republican Party. This is what these people want, and this is what a majority of white people vote for. Right? When I say that a majority of white people are in favor of this kind of violence, it is because a majority of white people consistently vote Republican. Consi you know, since 
the passage of the Civil Rights Act, a majority of white people have voted Republican, right? So, like, this is the party that they're supporting. A majority of white people pick judges like Bruce Schrader, the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. What can you even say? Here's something to always watch out for when you hear comments from the left. And you see this to a large degree on college campuses too. The left tries to claim that words, such as a speech or support, as in voting Republican, is somehow the same as actual physical violence. He said it right there. If we support due process, if we support Kyle Rittenhouse, then we support violence. We condone violence. And we are just a bunch of white supremacists. The argument is tired and old, but they keep on doing it. And the left continues to show that the party of tolerance and inclusion and unity is really the party of division. Without painting some folks as evil oppressors and others as the lowly oppressed, they would have nothing. But reaction wasn't limited to Tiffany Cross and Ellie Mistel. NBC anchor Maria Shriver took to Twitter to express her dismay. I'm trying to take a beat to digest the Rittenhouse verdict. My son just asked me how it's possible that he didn't get charged for anything. How is that possible? I don't have an answer for him. She doesn't have an answer? She's a national news anchor. Is she saying she has no clue what was said in the trial? Because whether you agree with the verdict or not, you can still explain to your child the basic concept of what's going on. But again, those on the left already pronounced guilt before anyone appeared in court. Now, reaction to Shriver's tweet was just great. There were plenty who recommended that she just sit this one out, considering what relatives Ted Kennedy and William Kennedy Smith got away with. Some, like Fox Nation host Joey Jones, it tried to be helpful. Evidence, testimony, Wisconsin law, and the Constitution. Others who replied to Shriver were a bit more sarcastic. I'm trying to take a beat to digest the media coverage of the Rittenhouse verdict. My pet cat Ask me how it's possible that the mainstream media could do such a bad job covering it, repeatedly getting basic facts wrong, and leave out important context. I don't have an answer for her. Nice one. And again, it just shows that the left have no desire for facts. Racism and white supremacy. Those are their tools, and they continue to use them. All right, next Thanksgiving is on Thursday, and for most of us, it's an opportunity to get together with family to celebrate and be thankful. It's a time for turkey and football, and turkey and football. That is, unless you're part of the angry left, especially that part of the left who in academia look for any occasion to divide rather than unite. Now, several universities are getting together for an event designed to ask Americans whether we should reconsider the Thanksgiving holiday. Here's the story. The alumni associations of the University of Maryland, Florida Gulf Coast University, Washington State University, University of Central Arkansas, Hiram College in Ohio, and California State University Long Beach are participating. According to the event description, the recent national shift from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day reflects a changing national mood and asks if Americans should do the same thing with Thanksgiving. A changing national mood. That's code for a push by the woke left to take something good and traditional, something that brings people together, and turn it into a cause for division. Here's more from the event description. Starting in 1970, many Americans, led by indigenous protesters, believe that Thanksgiving should be rededicated as a national day of mourning 
to reflect the centuries-long displacement and persecution of Native Americans. The recent shift from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day reflects a changing national mood, the event description states. Should Americans reconsider Thanksgiving when wrestling with our country's complicated past? Instead of Thanksgiving, they want a national day of mourning. Folks, everyday life is tough enough. There are problems around every corner. Isn't it nice to have one day? I mean, just one day that is set aside so we can be thankful. Thankful for each other. Thankful for this country. Thankful for the blessings from God. Thankful for anything. And yet, the woke left just can't let an opportunity pass them by to go after another symbol of tradition and peace and unity in America. All right, next, with the red wave that is building across the country, what is going to happen to Nancy Pelosi and some of the other Democrat leaders in the U.S. House? Polling from a number of organizations show Republicans with leads not seen in decades. Many Democrats are seeing that now is a good time to retire rather than face the prospect of losing or being part of the minority party in Congress. With all those dynamics in play, what will Nancy Pelosi do? What about some of the other Democrats in the leadership? Make no mistake, the vultures are circling and younger, more radical Democrats are looking to move in. Here's the story. House Democrats are already thinking about a post-Pelosi caucus and eyeing a fresh group of younger leaders. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, 81, is serving in the chamber's highest role for the second time in her long political career. And there's chatter in the halls of Congress about who will emerge as her successor. I've heard that Pelosi may not run again or might not be speaker again. I think it's probably pretty speculative right now, but there's excitement about a lot of different members. A House Democrat aide privately told the Washington Times. I wouldn't be surprised if Pelosi sees the writing on the wall and decides to call it a career. As the story notes, she's 81 years old, but she's not the only 80-plus leader. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, he's 82. Democrat Whip James Clyburn is 81. That means out of the four leadership positions held by the Democrats, three of them are over 80 years old. So with the possibility of Republicans taking control of the House in 2022, a lot of names are being thrown around as potential successors to Pelosi and other Democrat leaders. Here's more. Interest in a potential change in command comes as younger, more progressive members clash with the aging establishment Democrats who have long led the caucus. The names of younger members like New York Representative Hakeem Jeffries, Washington Representative Pramila Jayapal, and California Representatives Peter Aguilar and Adam Schiff have all been floated in lawmakers' conversations about the next generation of Democrat leadership. Massachusetts Representative Catherine Clark, 58, the Assistant Speaker of the House, has also been name-dropped by fellow Democrats as a potential candidate for leadership. Can you imagine Adam Schiff? Are you kidding me? But here's the thing. The 2022 elections are still almost a year away, and a lot can happen. If the Democrats do get voted out, you know the establishment Dems are going to blame the AOCs and the Ilhan Omars for being too radical and turning off voters. They'll actually probably be right. But the far-left progressives will argue that their message wasn't supported and that more vocal leadership on progressive agenda items, that's what was needed to win. Either way, the battle will be on to see who emerges in control of the Democrats. Friends, 
That's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. But don't forget, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our next show is going to be Wednesday evening at the usual time, 6.30 p.m. Central. Until then, I'm Bobby Eberly. This is a 13-minute news hour.